0: Habakkuk, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1. And so this is a test of your Bible skills, so I'm going to pay attention. So when you get there, will you stand? Now some of y'all are cheating because I see all the phones coming out. People who normally use Bibles are pulling out phones. That's all. <laughs> there it is, taking advantage of it. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 11. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11. All right, Habakkuk chapter one, beginning in verse one. word of the Lord reads: "The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw: "How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you do not listen, or cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of you is ineffective ongoing and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations, this is God's response to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. A impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come out from distant lands. They fly like eagles swooping to devour. All of them prisoners like sand, Violence kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind they pass through. They are guilty and their strength is their God. Heavenly fathers, we consider this idea of your justice in an unjust world. I pray that you would give us. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, church, we are beginning uh, a new series through the book of Habakkuk. This is is a series entitled God's Justice in an Unjust World. God's justice, the idea of justice, but we're ultimately going to be focusing on God's justice. And I want to just share with you at the front end that This book has been interesting for me to try to map out because in all honesty, you could and maybe should preach the entire book in one sermon Uh, because of how these things flow together at most through what's going on in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to try to do it in 10. Uh, And the reason that we're breaking it up is because there in the middle, and we'll talk about this in a moment, there are five woes, five oracles that that Habakkuk gives that help us think through injustice as he points out these five areas that seem to be present. But throughout this book, we get this incredible picture of. I'll tell you uh, the beginning portion, the majority of this sermon is just going to be some introduction, some background, trying to give some overview to the book of Habakkuk as we move through it. And then towards the end, we're going to deal with that text that we just read, trying to answer one simple question. It's the title of this sermon. Why is there injustice? Why is there injustice? But you know, justice is something that for us as Christians, it demands our attention. This idea of justice, of doing what is right, what is good, it matters to us as Christians. The first reason is because throughout our world, there are cries for justice. Throughout our world, there are cries for justice. This idea of justice is so prevalent among people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different ethnicities, because they're more in a few moments, but, but it declares to us when something is wrong, when something is unjust, when there is injustice present. All around us, people are seeing when things are not happening as they should, just This week, on Thursday evening, a man named Nathaniel Woods was executed in Alabama for allegedly being Spencer, the man who was convicted of actually pulling the trigger, declared that Nathaniel Woods had nothing to do with it. He was simply there. Now, I don't know the details, and my goal is not to give a commentary on what I think was right or wrong, but as I read responses, as I read articles about this, it was interesting that people on sides were declaring for justice there were some who were declaring for just justice for these three police officers and that this was right and this is what should happen and there were many who were declaring was not complicit in these murders and, and we don't believe that he should be killed and it should be stayed for a while as we re-examine this and people were crying for justice because people long for justice people long for justice this is why there are cries for social justice, there are cries for racial justice, there are cries for economic justice, there are cries for environmental justice, the world. But the second reason that this idea of justice matters for us as a Christian, why it's important that we think through this is because, and this is, this is key, this idea of, of justice demands our attention because for calls for justice are good And they reveal the image of God in humanity. Let me say that again. Calls for justice are good because they they reveal the image of God in humanity. We read, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let us make man in our image. And men and women, boys and girls, those on their deathbed and those in the womb are made in the image of God. And this has a structural, a functional, and a relational reality to it. So when we think about the image of God and the relational reality, reality. So here's what I mean. The image of God on every human being has a structural reality in that we possess something unique within us, within our structure as humans that makes us structurally different than anything else that was made. For example, we have a soul and nothing else that was made really love your cat's might really love your flowers in your garden, but when those things die, they cease to exist. There is no eternity for them because there is no soul, but within us as humans, we have a soul within us, which is, is, is evidence of the structural reality. We have moral kadad. We think in terms of right and wrong. And this is unique to us as being made in the image of God. It is a structural reality of being made in the image of God. Therefore, when we cry for justice, it is because we are observing something that we believe is unjust. You could say that calls for justice are calls to correct something in the image of God and is imprinted on us from God himself, who is a moral God. But not only is there a structural reality to being made in the image of God, but there is a functional reality as well, meaning the image of God is not just about who we are so reflected in what we do then uh, and the fall have tainted this when we were created we were called to exercise dominion over the earth to care for it to nurture it and steward it and others well for the glory of God see the image of God affected not only who we are but what we do what we do and cries for justice happen as we see sin, the reality that they are made in the image of God, we see injustice because people are not caring for this world and for others in a way that brings God glory. But finally, not only is there a structural reality to being made in the image of God, not only is there a functional reality to being made in the image of God, there is a relational reality aspect, a relational reality of being made in the image. God's image is to be called persons in communion or in relationships. He goes on, he says, there was no moment, think about this, there was no moment when a human being was actually a solitary, autonomous, unrelated entity. Self-consciousness always included consciousness of one's relation to God each other, and that we are made in the image of God, which means that we are made to be relational beings. There has never been a moment in the existence of humanity where we did not have a conscious awareness of the fact that we are to interact with God and with others and with this world in a particular way. So when we see injustices in relationships, when we see injustices in houses, it is evidence of the fact that we are made in the image of God. And I would argue, and this will come out throughout this series, that injustice towards another person is evidence of the fact that the image of God has been tainted in people's minds. Injustice towards another person is evidence of the fact that the image of God has been tainted in people's minds. Because with the image, That is an important statement, that being made in the image of God means that you have intrinsic worth and you have intrinsic value purely because of the fact that you were made in the image of God. Every human being has worth and value because they are made in the image of God. That's why we care about human life in the womb. That's why we care about human life on the deathbed. And we care about every human intrinsic worth and value. And that's why injustices are so painful, because so often they attempt to strip people of the image of God. But here's the third reason that this idea of justice demands our attention. See, not only is the world talking about, about it, not only does it reveal that we are made in the image of God, but the idea of just, to long for justice, to pursue justice, to fight for justice. Psalm uh, Psalm 37, 27 through 29, God says, turn away from evil and do what is good and settle permanently for the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. Praise God but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will... 1, verses 16 and 17. After God at the beginning of Isaiah has revealed that the people of God have failed, they have sinned, they have not walked faithfully before their God, and God calls them to repent, and when He calls them to repent, this is a whole another sermon, it demands an action from them. And this is what God says to them. Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself. Remove your evil deeds from good. Pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. In Amos chapter 5, God condemns his people for their false worship because they try to worship God while ignoring a pursuit of justice. And this is what God says in Amos 5, I hate solemn assemblies. Even if you offer your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water. And righteousness like an unfailing stream. God says to his people that you are doing all of the right sacrifice. It is nothing but noise to me. Because you do not pursue justice. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. In Micah 6, verse 8, I'm trying to show you that God cares about this. This is not something that is talked about infrequently in the Bible. In Micah, chapter, the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with God. And some of y'all might be sitting here thinking, well, Michael, those are all Old Testaments. We don't believe in that anymore. Well, we're preaching from the Old Testament, but... Let me give you a New Testament. We do believe the Old Testament. That was a joke. No one laughed, so I wanted to be clear about that. Okay, we we believe in the Old Testament. (laughs) There's a reason two-thirds of the book was written before Jesus ever showed up, amen? In Luke, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So, as we consider this idea of God's justice in an unjust world, it matters. It matters to us as Christians. It matters because the world is crying for it. It matters because we are made in the image of God, the image of God in people. And it matters because God has called us to long for justice, to pursue justice, and to fight for justice. It matters. And this book that we are going to study, the book of Habakkuk, gives us beautiful insight into God's justice in the midst of an unjust world. We're trucking away, right? I want to give you a little background and an overview of the book and, and kind of where we are headed in this study. Habakkuk is a very interesting book of the Bible. I would argue that it is actually one of the most unique prophetic books in the Bible. The reason is because it doesn't read like a prophetic book. It doesn't read like your typical prophecy in words of God spoken to them for the people. So many of the prophets start with this declaration, thus says the Lord, right? The Lord speaks to the prophets and has them record it and speak it and declare it and read it to the people. But Habakkuk isn't like that. Habakkuk isn't a prophetic book where God says, thus says the Lord. But what we get to do as we get to watch, it's incredible. Habakkuk, even what we just read, the beginning of that text was Habakkuk praying to God, and then there in verse 5, God responds and speaks to Habakkuk. It's not like any other <clears throat> prophetic book. It's, it's quite interesting because we actually know very little about Habakkuk. We, we know that he was like captivity of Judah... But we don't know much about him. But what's interesting about this book, what makes it difficult for me as a pastor, so you can pray for me, is my mind works in categories. I know that when you approach a prophetic book of the Bible, that's a specific genre, and so you should look at it a certain way in order to understand what's being said, right? We believe in her, a narrative is not like wisdom literature. And so I'm wanting to approach Habakkuk like it's purely a normal prophetic book, but actually Habakkuk reads more like the Psalms and like the Proverbs. It is filled with ancient wisdom literature. He, he uses the Psalms to make his case and his prayers and his pleas before God, and there's wisdom throughout it. The book. But the book begins with Habakkuk crying out over the injustices that he sees all around him in Judah. And he asks God when he is going to intervene. He says, I'm looking at the people of God and I see injustice everywhere. God, when are you going to step in? And God responds to him and says that vengeance is coming. Notice that this doesn't sit well with Habakkuk. So much so that in Habakkuk's second prayer, which we'll look at next week, uh, he asks In in chapter 1, verse 13, why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And what he basically says is, listen, I I know that Judah's bad. I know your response, God, that to deal with our injustice, you're going to raise up a nation that's going to be even more unjust to us. I'm excited to talk about that next week when we look at this idea of when God responds and we don't understand But God responds in that passage and says something in response to Habakkuk's second prayer in chapter 2 by Paul and once by the author of Hebrews. And in Habakkuk 2.4 comes that very famous phrase, but the righteous one will live by faith. And so what follows is Habakkuk sharing these five oracles and and pronouncing judgment on those who oppress and who bring about injustice. And we will look at those individually in the weeks to come to glean lessons on what is just and what is Habakkuk's faith, his faith in God played out not only in the declaration of his mouth but in how he goes about living his life in light of the injustice around him, but believing that there is a just God. And he ultimately waits for God to act. So again, the book of Habakkuk gives us beautiful insight into God's justice. in of an unjust world and there of our text in chapter one verses two and three where he says how long lord must i call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save why do you force me to look at injustice why do you tolerate wrongdoing Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is on. He is looking at God's chosen people and he sees injustice all around him. And I want you to know it's easy to kind of read that and, and to, to read Habakkuk as if he's condemning God. I don't think that's what he's doing because God doesn't respond in such a way as to challenge Habakkuk's approach to him. I think Habakkuk is legitimately asking God these questions out of a heart that is broken and longing saying, God, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you moving? Why am I looking at injustice? What is it that you tolerate the new to the people of God? David writes in Psalm 13, verses one and two, a direct parallel here. He says, "How long, Lord, will you forget me for over, forever, forever?" How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Injustice is not new. It was not new to us. And what this reveals, when you look at David, when you look at Habakkuk, one of the things that is interesting in both of them that is good in both of them is that when they saw injustice anywhere, their heart was broken. Your heart. And it should especially break our hearts when we see it among the people of God, like Habakkuk saw in Judah. It should well up within us this longing to see God act. You know, this past week I had the opportunity to, um, uh, I was invited to come to IUS and to speak on kind of the Bible and racial about an hour, and then had a fun Q&A um, for a good bit afterwards. And one of the questions that was asked of me, I don't think I've ever been asked in a Q&A, is he said, you know, you mentioned that you talk about this in different settings that you've talked with churches and pastors and elders, and, and this is something that you, you, you address frequently. Uh, I said, that's right. He said, do you ever get tired of talking about it? I thought that was a really interesting question. Do I ever get tired of talking to that? And my response to him, and I think it was just the Lord being kind, because I'm not normally this clever, was I pray that I never do tire of it. Because the moment that I tire of addressing injustices in the world is the moment that my heart has been hardened to what is going on. And like Habakkuk and like David, our hearts should break when we see injustice anywhere. Not just the specific kinds that matter to us, but injustice anywhere. That's why I believe that Christians should care about justice. I believe that Christians should care about environmental justice, because even the world matters. God said that we were to exercise dominion, to rule over it in a way that glorified and honored God. And so when we destroy it, are we fulfilling that mandate that was given to us in creation? We should care about these things, Now, who are not. This is not our ultimate purpose, but it is something that should matter to us. And so this morning, with the time that we have left, which is just a short amount of time, it's probably the first time I've done a 30-minute introduction. It's good. What I want to do with this, this short time that we have left is answer a single question to get us started on this journey through the book of Habakkuk as we consider God's justice in an unjust world. And here's the single question. Why is we've come from the text? There are more answers than this, but three that I see in the text that we just read. Here's the first reason why there is injustice. Injustice exists because sin is present. Injustice exists because sin is present. Notice the words in the question that Habakkuk, the questions that he poses in verses two and three. How long, Lord, must I call for your help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Escalates and then look there at the end of verse four. He says, for the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out Perverted. Notice the words, he says, violence, wrongdoing, oppression, strife, conflict, and what Habakkuk is highlighting is that sin is present, and I want you to hear this, injustice injustice at its core, no matter what kind of injustice we are talking about, at its core, it is always the result of sin, now hear me, injustice is not the result of bad policy. It's not the result of bad legislation. It's not a bad upbringing and it's not a bad ideology. At its core, injustice is a result of present. Bad legislation, bad policy, a bad upbringing, bad ideology, those are a result of sin being present. But at its core, the reason that injustice exists is because sin is present. And what that means is that if that is that if we are going to see injustice eradicated, but it makes sense though, doesn't it? Because I'd also contend that the root of all sin is pride. We see this in the garden, right? Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say that if you ate this, you would die? Did God really say that to you? No, God, no, no, no. God knows that if you eat, and Eve thought too highly of herself, right? Well, I deserve to be like God. Forget the fact that he formed me from the rib of a man and spoke life into my dusty nostrils. I deserve to be like God. I'm better than what what he thinks I am. I'm better than what God says that I am. I'm going to eat this fruit. Right? We, we see pride as, as the there's injustice in, and, and see what pride will make us elevate our excel ourselves at the expense of anyone and everyone. At the expense of anyone and everyone. Do you know why racial injustice is so prevalent? It's because groups of people really like themselves and they happen to like people that look like them because it reminds them of them and they like themselves. And they will elevate anything that looks like them in order to make themselves feel worth and value, and it will be at the expense of us elevate ourselves at the expense of anyone and everyone around us. There's economic injustice because we like ourselves, and we believe that we deserve the money, and we deserve to be rich, and we deserve. For the, I'm not a socialist, just for the record, throwing that out there, okay? I'm not but we've got to deal with the fact. I'll tell you, the politicians don't have the solutions to it. They just don't. Not Republican, not Democrat, because at its core, it is what? Sin. But here's the second reason that injustice exists. Not only does injustice exist because sin is present, but here, this, this is so interesting. Injustice exists because the law is insufficient. Injustice exists because the law is insufficient look at the beginning, effective and justice never emerges he says the law is ineffective and justice never comes out of the law Habakkuk is saying that these are the people of God this is Judah and they have the law they know the, the law and yet they are the ones perpetuating injustice and he says that that the problem is because though they have the law justice never comes from the law we if you were here, the law simply shows us that we are broken. Paul says in Romans seven, why? What sh, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. He writes in Galatians three nineteen. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions. Until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law shows us what sin is. But hear me, please hear me. It cannot do it. Listen, the speed limit sign tells me when I'm speeding and when I'm not. That's what it does. It tells me the law. And if you look at my State Farm app, which tracks my driving, it doesn't always do a good job. I checked it this morning. I'm at 81%. It's better than the 66% when we came. Right? The law shows us the limit. It tells us what, what is righteous and what is sinful, but it cannot make us do what is righteous. The speed limit can't make me take my foot off the gas pedal. The sign doesn't do that. It can't give me the desire to not speed. It just shows me when I'm at fault. It shows me frequently. You see justice. I'm going to be real straight with you guys and, and it concerns me. It concerns me even among Christians. Too many people are placing their hope in better policies. Too many people are placing their hope in better laws. Too many people are placing their whole law of God and the law of man is insufficient to produce righteousness. Now, I, I want to caveat that i'm not saying that we shouldn't petition for change we live in a country where by the grace of god we have the blessing and the privilege and it is a privilege to protest to condemn laws to elect officials to do all these things without the fear of going to jail but what well we can't tell them to put their hope in the law but we shouldn't either i'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't Care about these things. I care tremendously about redlining. I I care tremendously about housing policies. I've spent time studying it. Those things matter to me. But at the end of the day, my hope in eradicating injustice isn't by, it's not where my hope is found. Because at best, we change the laws and you still have a bunch of people with hate and pride and sin in their heart that will continue to perpetuate injustice in new and creative ways. Our hope is not in policy, our hope is in a God who saves souls. Who can take death and turn it to life and darkness and bring light? Our faith our law is insufficient to bring about justice. But here's the third reason that I want to give you that injustice exists. And, and we're coming to a close. The third reason that we see in this text that ju- injustice exists is because of idolatry. Look at verse 11. You know, Habakkuk has just cried out to God. Why aren't you doing anything? Why do you force me to see this? Why do you raise up the Chaldeans to conquer Judah, to place them into captivity? And again, this doesn't sit well with Habakkuk, which is why he says in verse 13, why are you silent while well, one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? But God tells Habakkuk that this is what he's going to do. And God says in verse 11 about the Chaldeans, then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. Now notice this last line, God. God basically says he knows that the Chaldeans will perpetuate injustice. And the reason that they will perpetuate injustice is because they worship themselves. Their strength is their God. And God highlights the fact, church, that injustice exists because idolatry is present. They are worshiping the wrong thing. I would contend to you that when we worship anything other than God, injustice will inevitably fall. To elevate ourselves. When we worship our culture, we will think too highly of our culture and do anything we can to elevate it. When we worship money, we will think too highly of our money and do anything we can do to elevate. When we worship heritage, when we worship power, when we worship any of these things that are not God, we will do anything we can to increase it and that will perpetuate injustice. Worshiping anything stems from a lack of a love for God and a lack of a love for others. And the only way we can love God and love others is by worshiping the one true God. And these three things are present at the beginning of Habakkuk as an answer to this question of why is there injustice? And church, we need to know these things. Because we will find one of them, but likely all of them, wherever we find injustice. We will find, he praise God that he acts. And I said all of that this morning, so that I could say this right here at the end. What I want to leave with you this morning is this. There is injustice in the world, but our God is not blind. And he is not ignoring it. When Habakkuk brings this prayer to God, God responds in verse 5 by saying something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Now let me pause for a minute. Don't make that your life verse. I'm so tired of people taking Habakkuk 1.5 and making that their life verse. Look among the nations, observe, because I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe even if you were told. What he's talking about is killing a bunch of people. That's not your life verse, okay? But God is saying, look, believe that God would raise up a pagan nation to conquer and to kill and to to perpetuate injustice among the people of God. But God says, watch, I'm going to do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. He says, look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth, open spaces to seize territories not its own. Now, can we pause for a minute and just consider Habakkuk's reaction to that? He is, why do you cause me to look at it? Why won't you do anything? And God says, don't worry, buddy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill some of my people. I'm going to place them in captivity. And maybe it's just me. I can picture Habakkuk doing like my, huh? You know, like, that's not what I was expecting, God. That's not what I thought that you were going to do. But we'll talk about this some next week. Thanks for my wife for this insight into the book of Habakkuk. But, A community and the community that is righteous together will reap the reward together. And justice is a community thing. It wasn't the response that Habakkuk was expecting. And he did not understand, but God told him to stand in awe and wonder as he worked. But people pales in comparison to what he did on Calvary to redeem those who are unjust. And Romans 3 reminds us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as the righteous because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Habakkuk thought that God was overlooking sin, but through the cross of Christ, he conquered it, and the justice of God flowed down, not as water, but as blood. And God be justified before God, and God's justice would be upheld. And in light of what God has done by justifying us through Christ, we fight for God's justice in an unjust world to make much of him. Yes, there is injustice in this world and as a result of his just. And he has acted and he will act against those who refuse to trust him. So our hope is in a God who is not sitting idly by. And as we examine the injustice of our world, the proof that our God is not passive is in the cross of Christ. Where he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered injustice and has made a way that we can love people. And Jesus took on himself our sin and God was just in his punishment of Jesus. As he poured out his wrath and his anger and his hatred on his son. But God is not only just, he is also the justifier. And because his wrath was poured out on his perfect, sacrificial lamb, we can be made right with God through faith and repentance, and we hold on to that. The gospel reminds us that God is not idle when injustice is present. But I want to remind you as we close the words of Psalm 30. The psalmist writes, Turn away from evil and do what is good. And settle permanently, settle permanently in doing what is good. He says, for the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. But the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous, though, the righteous will inherit. Oh, we see injustice all around us. We believe in God's justice in the midst of an unjust world and our hope is in the fact that one day God will make all things new. Let's pray.